This is ContraZoom, a live in limbo production. This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenal, and today we have a very special episode where we count down the 10 best films of 2017. Now, I know you might be saying, hey, this is the end of March, early April of 2018. Why are you still talking about 2017? And I would say, this is a podcast. You can't really be talking to me. I make the rules here. Uh, But... If you really are thinking that the reason is, you know, the end of the year, we have so much movies to catch up on, and it just kind of seems unfair to try to get this out early, mid-December, when we have a whole host of movies. There's movies that don't even come out in theaters until January that are technically 2017 releases, so it's definitely unfair to not include them. So by the time we get all caught up, it ends up being late March when we end up recording this, and joining me is Mehek Saeed, who is the foremost expert of seeing movies before <laughs> anyone else can. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Good. Did you struggle making this list or was this movies that you had like set aside? Be like, these are clearly the best movies I'd seen this year. Um, I kind of struggled. It's hard to put put them like in a ranking is the thing. I think that was the hardest part for me. It's like, okay, I kind of knew which ones I love the most, but I was like, how do I say what is number one and what is number 10? Like I, I, that's the part that I really struggled with. Exactly. Yeah. Like we might (laughs) say, you know, oh, this is the best movie of the year, but the difference between number one and number seven is probably so minuscule anyways. Yes. If we were to put them back to back, we might change our opinions the next time. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I just I went for it. And I'm not entirely convinced that I got it right. But in any case, we're here and I'm excited to talk about it. Now, do you think that there's some maybe overarching theme with your with your list or maybe movies in general uh, for for the last year? Um, definitely a lot of movies about personal identity. You know, the like the like just the ones that are like I don't they're not necessarily all coming of age, but they all definitely explore themes of what it means to be, you know, who a certain kind of person in the modern age, I feel like is something that kind of comes again and again in a lot of the movies that I've seen. And then I just tried to pick some kind of quirky ones too that because I, I like quirky weird films as well. So like I, I just I tried to pick a couple of those that you know, might not be the most thorough or like technically correct films, but they just they they struck a chord on some level. So, you know, I I, I think I agree with you. Uh, we have some movies that overlap, but by and large, our movies are pretty separate. But I think looking at the types of movies that we both consider to be some of the best of the year, including our honorable mentions, I think it definitely was a bit of a trend of figuring out who these people are, where their place in the world is, trying to defy either labels or expectations set out by other people. So I think that really was maybe a bit of a consistent theme through most of the Mm -hmm. best works of the last year, which is pretty interesting to see. 
Yeah, definitely. And I, I feel like those are the kind of stories that have been resonating with me over the last little while. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's a trend this year. Although I'm still in my like, well, actually, you know, I'd say this applies to this movie as well. I'm Black Panther everything. And that movie <laughs> definitely talks about identity. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if next year my list is kind of uh, following a similar theme. Well, I will give you a preview of my 2018 list so far. My number one movie is Black Panther. Yes. <laughs> to, be fair, to be fair, though, it is the only movie I've seen this year. Okay. All so right. by okay. default, it's also my worst movie of 2018. Oh, no. <laughs> well, you know what? That that means it's a really good worst movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Let's, uh, let's kick things off right away with uh, what is your number 10 movie? So number 10, I picked a movie called Shake Jackson. It's a film from Egypt, and it's basically a story about a man who, you know, he's kind of at this crossroads with his faith and how he's living his life. And on the day that it's, it kind of takes place on the day or like within the days of Michael Jackson's passing. And we kind of experience what this guy went through when he was a kid and how music actually had a huge influence on his life. But he eventually kind of started to shift towards a religious path and gave up this sort of uh, sort of cultural influence that Western music had on him, specific to Michael Jackson, because, you know, when he was a kid, like he would dress up like him. He grew his hair out like him. He was just, you know, he would dance around the home like him. And it was his way of sort of coping with a lot of the things that were going on in his life. And, you know, as his life kind of shifted towards a different path, he forgot about that part of him. But the movie discusses and kind of explores, you know, his modern, like his modern day life. And when that news comes through, how that actually impacts how he lives all of a sudden and how he looks back at, you know, his upbringing and why he is the way he is. And I thought that was a really beautiful story because, Um, I I thought a lot about my parents and, you know, how Western, like, music and movies influenced them growing up in India and, uh, you know, just sort of this this idea of living in a different country but then being able to uh, appreciate the culture and the music of someone who was recognized and loved globally. And I just thought thought it was a really lovely film uh, that kind of tackled um, identity, which is again a very common theme, <laughs> uh, but within the space of music, that's a movie that I've been. I, I know you have been praising for a while. You've brought it up on a few different episodes, and I still have not had the opportunity to catch up with it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I hope I can soon. Uh, yeah. My number 10 is the Russian film Loveless. It was nominated for Best Foreign Film. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the director's name, but he previously was nominated for Foreign Film for his movie Leviathan. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was a very weird movie in itself. Uh, That was sort of a biblical recreation. But Loveless tells the story of this couple who is going through a divorce and they're trying to sell their condo that they own. But they're already kind of divorced and they have a young son and they're fighting whenever they're in the same room. And one night they have a really bad fight that the son runs away. He must be 10 years old. And then so it's about 
the search for this missing young boy while these parents are also trying to go through a divorce and they both are seeing new people at this time. And it's got this really interesting cinematography where the camera sort of will linger on certain things or focus on shadows and make you think that behind every corner maybe the boy is hiding there because they've got search parties they've got the police the parents are looking you know they're constantly shouting his name trying to interview his friends things like that and they just cannot find him and so the camera keeps playing tricks with your minds expecting what you would expect in a type of movie like this be like oh if the camera is focusing on the shadow behind that tree, maybe that's where he's hiding and they're either just going to miss him or he's going to pop out right after, but you really don't know. And this isn't mo- a movie with a ton of closure. There is definitely a lot of open-ended questions to it and we'll, we'll kind of rock you to your core a little bit, uh, but it's very beautifully done, if not difficult to watch at times. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I think I I still haven't had a chance to see any of the foreign film nominees this year. So uh, Loveless is definitely one of the films on my list. But that sounds super interesting, even from, you know, a production standpoint, cinematography standpoint. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. What do you have at number nine? So number nine, I I really struggled with this. And so I kind of cheated. And I uh, came up with two movies that... um, that I, I just couldn't decide between. And I said, okay, you're, you're both going to rank as number nine. So the first is a film called Mom and Dad, which I saw at TIFF, starring Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair. And um, I actually, I, I just read that it got a very, I think it got a small distribution, theater, theatrical distribution at the beginning of this year. So that's good. Um, and it, I also ranked The Killing of a Sacred Deer, um, which is uh, Yorgos Your Lanthimos' most recent film. I so for Mom and Dad, it, it's 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 kind of a wild film in its concept, and it's very violent, um, and it's also like very high octane in the way that it's filmed uh, because it's directed by uh, Brian Taylor, who's worked on movies like Crank, which you know, and like Ghost Rider. And, uh, or Ghost Rider 2, rather. And so, like, it, he, he's kind of well known for this, like, really, like, crazy, like, these crazy shots and, like, just, like, in your face kind of deal. But so that part was really kind of shocking to watch while I was watching, but definitely, I think the concept just really stood out in my mind. And it's basically just, it just takes place in a time where, you know, everything is normal. And then all of a sudden, all the parents in this particular town want to kill their kids. And so it's about this, these two parents, Selma Blair and Nick Cage, and they're just trying to, you know, they're trying to kill their children in their house and their kids are trying to escape them. And it's totally wild. It's, it's, it's a weird horror movie. It's kind of funny at times. There's this one insane scene where Nick Cage is smashing up a pool table in his basement. And it's just like, it's, it's really weird. And, for some reason, I I was very drawn to it, um, and then the killing of a sacred deer. I just I I like the concept of it so much, and you know the 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 cast was really strong. the The delivery of the script was really well done, even though it's like you know I think a lot of people would find it dry, which is kind of hard given you know the concept is a little um, is not as accessible, but 
I thought for, you know, two kind of weird horror, dramatic comedy, slightly comedic films, both of them hit uh, hit a note with me, so I decided to rank them both at number nine. <laughs> All right. Uh, number nine for me, I have Logan Lucky, which is the latest movie from Steven mm. Soderbergh, uh, which is sort of a almost a spoof on his Oceans movies where it's a uh, casino type heist they they rob a racetrack but it's done with a redneck nascar spin to it so for some crazy way soderbergh completely was able to embed himself into this world and get everything about the look and the feel and the way these characters talk uh to just resonate so deeply but then on top of this really amazing heist that you know, he shoots so well, as we know from the Oceans movies. Uh, he also injected a really interesting personal story of Channing Tatum and his uh, daughter. He and his wife are separate. His wife is played by Katie Holmes. Uh, Katie Holmes has a new husband and uh, family and things like that. But Channing Tatum is still trying to be the best dad he could be to a little girl who doesn't live very close to him and has everything that she could ever need from this new family, even though he kind of struggles with... Uh, maintaining work and that's why he decides to rob uh, the nascar racetrack and it's really great you know there's a really touching moment near the end of the movie where there's a, a little pageant going on that his daughter's participating in and she decides to sing her daddy's favorite song which is country roads by john denver and it's just like a really resonating moment in the movie but then also it's absolutely hilarious because you've got Daniel Craig, who's looking really beefy in this movie, playing a uh, bomb expert uh, whose name is Joe Bang, hilariously enough. And he's got this like crazy southern drawl accent that's kind of high pitched as well. And is really smart and is really funny, but just so ridiculous with this bleach blonde hair that that alone is worth seeing it. And then Adam Driver with a prosthetic arm that gets used as a bit of a weapon a few times. So this is a really funny movie, but also kind of has a bit of a heart to it and moves you a little bit too. And I, and I really recommend it if you are a fan of the Oceans movies. Nice. That mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the movies that I did not get to see last year and I really want to because I feel like it would have influenced um, influenced what I picked. But that sounds really great. Yeah, it's definitely one that like I find myself quoting all the time. It really (laughs) has that sort of uh, replay to it. Uh, So what do you have at number eight? So at number eight, I have Greta Gerwig's directed Lady Bird. I just really, I, I really love the core of this movie, which is the the mother daughter relationship um, between Shosha Ronan's character and um, Laurie Metcalf's character. I, I just, I think they both delivered some very beautiful, nuanced performances. The, the script is funny, and I, you know, I'm very close with my mom. So when I was watching this movie, it was one of the last movies I saw at TIFF, and it was like beautiful Saturday night and it's like 9.30 and I'm in the Elgin Theater and I'm watching and I'm watching and the entire time I just like wanted to get out of the theater and call my mom and tell her I loved her and I think like you know any movie that can make you feel like that strong of an emotion and you know reminds you so deeply of the relationships in your life um, is really powerful and Lady Bird just kind of captured that 
you know, the power of, you know, feminine relationships and being a mom and a daughter uh, so wonderfully. And that's why it made it to my list. I mean, I, I have some problems with the movie. I'm not going to lie. But I think, you know, at its core, the, the emotional story really got to me. Nice. Uh, I don't think this is going to be the last time we hear about that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, my number eight is Mudbound, the Netflix movie directed by Dee Reese that tells the stories of uh, two young men returning from World War II, one black, one white, uh, and rejoining their families. The white family has purchased uh, some farmland, and it is being worked on by the black family who pays rent to them. And so there's this really interesting racial dynamic going on uh, because you've got post-World War II era racism down in the South where you have, for the most part, all these young boys who went off to fight actually experience what it's like to not hate people of different races other than Germans, because that was a completely different story. Um, but they really got to see how when they were in England, there was no segregation. That wasn't a thing. And depending on what country they were in, they, uh, they got experience with people and cultures that they never thought that they would get coming from these small towns. And all of a sudden they realize, why do we hate people just because of the color of their skin? And then they come back and it's such a rude awakening. You know, you have these white people who come back and realize I was wrong the whole time. How do I convince the hundreds of millions of people that are living in America that they are also wrong? And then you have black people coming back, basically feeling like prisoners because they had so much freedom while they're fighting in a war. They gave everything up for their country and come back to be treated so poorly. So it's a really interesting examination of of race and identity and self-worth and all these things. And the first bit of the movie I found was kind of a little bit of a paint-by-numbers, your typical um, – I don't want to say racism movie, but I guess that's the easiest way to describe a movie about characters experiencing racism. But then I found the second half, the events went to a natural progression and things got a lot more serious. And suddenly the so-called casual racism at the beginning made a lot more sense and hit a lot harder. And with an ending that will absolutely make you weep for humanity. It's a very tough end of movie to watch one that I, I probably don't know if I'm going to be able to rewatch myself because it was so emotional for me. Yeah. Uh, Mudbound was definitely a movie that I was contemplating putting on my list and it's extremely powerful by the, you know, especially by that third act um, and just such a tremendous effort by DVs and the entire team that produced that film. Um, I'm now kind of regretting not putting it on here. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's it's a very tough one. Like, I, I don't recommend it to people if they're going to have a hard time getting through a movie like this because it, it gets very graphic uh, mm -hmm. and it is tough to watch. But I do think it's a very important movie that people should watch. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, before you get into your next one, we're going to hear from our first of two people. Uh, I, I asked a couple people on the Live and Limbo team to send us uh, a recording of what their favorite movie of the year is. So first, we're going to listen to Sean Chin, our editor-in-chief, and what his favorite movie of 2017 was. Hey, everyone. It's Sean Chin, the publisher-in-chief editor of Live and Limbo. My favorite film of 2017 is actually a Netflix documentary called Icarus. It's by Brian Fogel. And this film basically uh, is him and he's trying to investigate the Lance Armstrong doping scandal. But then he is drawn into this Russian scientist and they uncover and we are revealed and we learn about all the doping scandals and drug uh, scandals that go on in the 2012 Summer Olympics and then more, more recently the 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics. And this film was so great, so well done, and so weird that it actually happened. And it's an actual story that's still ongoing. And I guess it's so good that it won an Oscar for Best Documentary. So if you haven't seen it yet, go hit it up on Netflix. So Sean was recommending the documentary Icarus. Was that one that you had seen yourself, Mahak? No, I still haven't seen Icarus, unfortunately. But nice to hear Sean's pick from last year, definitely. (laughs) It's on Netflix, so it's not like it's a difficult one to find. Um, I I highly recommend it as well. So, So great pick by Sean. What is your number seven movie? For number seven, I picked The Shape of Water, so this year's Best Picture winner. I just felt like this movie was really beautifully done. And, you know, I think I I also, I'm not going to lie, I get very influenced by the way I hear the creators talk about their films. And so when I saw this at TIFF, um, you know, Del Toro came out and he did one of the best Q&As I've ever seen, period, at, you know, anywhere. And he was just so incredibly passionate about this story and and about its place in today's society and how important it is to celebrate love every single day. And, you know, I think that's what The Shape of Water really, really teaches you because it's such a bizarre kind of match between, you know, this woman 
um, who's unable to speak and this sort of weird alien monster creature and people that I've talked to, I know like I have a lot of friends who are kind of into these stories, but then there's other people who are like, I think it's a little too high concept for me. And I'm like, but it's just a story about love. That's really what it comes down to. And it's, you know, it's, it's just beautifully executed. I, I love the pacing of the film. I love the set designs and, you know, the, the sort of production and um, my favorite, I think one of my favorite scenes, I think I talked about this on the last episode that I was on, um, is just that part when, you know, you, you see the water kind of seeping through into uh, the Elgin Theater. And when I was watching it, I was sitting in the Elgin Theater. So I had this weird meta moment. And so um, it's just it's an all encompassing experience, but it all just comes down to the story of love and it's told very beautifully. Yeah, it was a great movie. Uh, just missed the cut for my top 10, one that I really enjoyed as well. Mm. Uh, my number seven is a small little indie film called Columbus. It was directed by Koganada, who uh, made a name for himself making video essays uh, about different directors and their works. He's someone who is obsessed with architecture and shapes and lines. And so that's what a lot of his video essays sort of focused on was directors using their camera to create really beautiful shapes and lines. And so naturally, when he makes his first movie, it's a movie about architecture, shapes, and lines. Uh, it stars John Cho and Haley Lou Richardson. Um, Cho is a Korean-born man who has to return to Columbus, Indiana, not Ohio, because his father, a very famous architect, was there giving a speech who fell ill. And so he has to go and stay with him. And Haley Lou Richardson plays uh, a young woman who lives in this town who feels kind of stuck because she can't leave her mother due to personal reasons that they live together, uh, but wants to get out and has all this knowledge about architecture. And they form a very unlikely friendship where they go around where Columbus is actually uh, known for having stunningly beautiful architecture. I can't remember what it's referred to, but it, it's like one of the single best cities in the United States for architecture. It was just so experimental when all these buildings were being made. And so, of course, with all that sort of stuff, it is gorgeous to watch. But at the heart of it, it's this really interesting uh, relationship drama of two people struggling to find their own identities and figure out what they want in the world it's kind of a hard movie to find, but really enjoyable. And John Cho has never been better. And Haley Lou Richardson shows why she's kind of been one of the best um, young actors in the last few years. You know, people might have seen her in The Edge of Seventeen. Uh, playing uh, the best friend in that movie, or she was also in The Bronze, which is a really funny movie, and uh, in Split as well last year, which I did not get to see, or two years ago. Uh, but yeah, she's really making a name for herself. I actually, this is so weird, last night I came across that movie and I put it on my list on Netflix. <laughs> so that's cool to hear that, you know, it made your top 10 of 2017. I'm very excited to watch it now. I didn't know it was on Netflix. That's so great. Yeah, yeah. Last night I, I came across it and I was like, okay, this looks really good. And I love John Cho and I want to see him in different roles. So I was like, I'm going to favorite this. 
It's so. definitely something that you've never seen him do. You know, it's just like a really simple story uh, where he's not outrageous. He's not over the top. He's just kind of a man kind of grappling with his with his inner demons. And he does a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. What do you have for number six? So at number six, I picked Thor Ragnarok. And I know there's a, like, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot that was wrong with that movie, but I just love how weird the Thor franchise has gotten because of the fact that Taika Waititi directed this movie. He just took it in a totally new direction, and I love I love what he did with the movie. I think he added a lot more humor to the character. I think that you know with the you know, with the characterizations, he definitely made Thor a lot more entertaining than he was before. I, you know, Tessa Thompson is amazing in that movie. She's hilarious. And, you know, I love, I love the whole concept of the Valkyrie and I hope that plays out in the Marvel films in the future. Um, Kate Blanchett was a pretty decent villain, not my favorite, but definitely not the worst. It was interesting to see her in there and having Jeff Goldblum, just in anything is always a win for me. But I I just feel like Taika brought his own kind of unique flavor to the Marvel movies. And I'm glad that they're, you know, that they're really embracing what directors can do for, you know, for that universe and allowing them to sort of spread their wings and do weird stuff. Everything from that random scene where he gets like, not random, but he, you know, he goes up this like rainbow tunnel to, you know, when they're playing the immigrant song while his eyes are charging up, like that is probably one of my favorite Marvel scenes ever. (laughs) So it was just, it's just very entertaining and I love its new direction. And I think it's the best Thor movie of all three. So that's why I made it to my top 10. And that's why it's at number six. Do not feel ashamed by including that movie. That movie was awesome. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, My number six is Ladybird, you already talked about it, uh, <laughs> Greta Gerwig's movie. And I think this was sort of, you know, we were talking at the top about this was a year of movies about uh, self-identity and, you know, coming-of-age stories and things like that. And I think one of the things that really stuck out, stuck out for me was the movies that you and I are, are mostly talking about, while they have experiences from people who are completely different than ourselves. Uh, even you and I have completely different backgrounds. I think the movies that succeeded so well resonated with us regardless how much we connect to it. You know, I was never a teen girl, so I can't really connect with that. But the way that the story was told, I understood her struggle and what she was going through. And I remember uh, female friends of mine and things like that, of what it was like for them growing up and the challenges they faced. And, and I think it was all just so universal about this idea of what it means to be young and wanting to be the greatest thing that you can, but understand that there might be limitations, but you don't want those limitations there. And then you have your parents who also want the best for you, but are also being a little realistic at the same time. Like there's so many layers to this movie and it just all works so well. And, and Saoirse Ronan is very quickly becoming probably my favorite actress at this moment. I was, I was sad that she lost the Oscar for Brooklyn last year. And I thought for sure 
that she would uh, win this year because uh, she was snubbed last year. Sadly, she did not win. Frances McDermott ended up winning, which I was a little disappointed by. But Sersha will definitely get her time. Yeah, you know, Sersha's got three movies coming out this year. And I think two of them are big Oscar-type contenders. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, that 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 trophy's coming to her very shortly. I think the one thing that also kind of maybe gets forgotten a bit about this movie with all the talk about how great Saoirse Ronan is and everything, this is a, a damn funny movie. Like, it I, is. I had... I was rolling around laughing so hard for a good chunk of it. You know, the last third definitely becomes a lot more serious, but throughout the rest of the movie is really funny. You get introduced to a character as she's throwing herself out of the car yeah. while it's running at high speed. Like you can't get much funnier than that. Like that was a mm-hmm. really great introduction to, to the Ladybird character. Uh, and also, uh, I want to give a, a shout out to Lucas Hedges. Uh, mm-hmm. He showed that last year's Manchester by the Sea performance was no real fluke. Uh, and I thought he was actually better in Lady Bird than Timothy Chalamet was. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, in, in Lady Bird. In yeah, Lady Bird. Actually, in Lady Bird. Yeah. yeah, I would, you know what? I would agree with that. I would maybe, agree with that. maybe it's just because I hated Chalamet's character so much yeah. in that movie that it kind of, you know, you felt bad for Lucas Hedges' character, um, who is struggling with his own identity of being a, a gay young man. But, uh, but I definitely really adored his performance. Yeah, no, he was he was excellent in this movie, and Lucas Hedges has a lot of projects coming out this year too. So I'm sure we will see more of him and get see more of his success very shortly. All right. So, what do you have as your number five movie? So coming in at number five on my list is Disney Pixar's Coco. I just really adored this movie and. It's story about, you know, about the importance of tradition and of honoring your culture and your family. That's definitely something that uh, spoke to me on a lot of levels while I was watching it. It's also, it's also incredibly like, it's just, it's beautifully done. It's funny. It's the music is wonderful in it. And I love the fact that it has uh, an all Latin American cast, which is amazing. I think, I think, you know, representation is important in every aspect of filmmaking. And so to see not only the stories that are being told are, you know, representative of different cultures, but to also see people of those cultures being able to tell them is very important. Um, and I think Coco, I don't cry in movies very, very often, but Coco had me in tears by the end of it. And that's usually a big sign of success, and it's not going to be the last movie on my list that made me cry as a spoiler alert. So I will, I will say that you know it's just it's a very beautiful story that I think both kids and adults can appreciate, like they can with most Pixar movies. But the the cultural notes of it are just so strong and um, so important for kids to see and for adults to be reminded of. Nice. Uh, so my number five is Get Out, uh, the Jordan Peele directorial debut horror thriller movie uh, that by now, I think even if you have not seen it, you probably know everything about it. It's hard to really talk about this movie when 
everyone knows about it. You know, it was such a success that you can tell a story of what it means to be a black person or a person of color in modern day US uh, and sort of just take it to the next sort of level where it's not completely unreasonable, but you know, it's, it's definitely within the, the margin of air sort of thing. It plays out a bit like a black mirror episode done into a feature length film. The story of, uh, black people being kidnapped by white families. And then I, I don't even know how to describe it. Having their body parts, souls, whatever it is, harvest it and having the white people's consciousness being put into these black people, uh, which describing it sounds pretty crazy, but that's what type of movie it is. And, you know, the first uh, two thirds of this movie are, are pretty your, your typical suspense thriller type movie. And then the last third just goes absolutely batshit insane, crazy, gory horror movie. Uh, but some really great performances, you know, obviously – all the talk was about Daniel Kaluuya in a star turning turn, star turning role in this, but I think Allison Williams and her parents, played by Bradley Bradley Whitford and Catherine Keener, gave really great performances as well. Um, the uh, the couple that played. Uh, the groundskeeper and maid, aka the grandparents, were really fantastic and unnerving. They had this creepy dead stare to them that just chilled me every time they were on camera because you did not know what was going on with them. At this point, like, I don't know who hasn't seen this movie. Like, this was a type, this is the type of movie that transcends genres. I don't watch a lot of horror movies, but this was a movie that had to be seen. So whether or not you like horror movies or not, this was a movie you probably had seen. Yeah, no, Get Out was definitely one of the best films of last year. And I'm going to leave it at that because this is not the last time it's going to appear in our episode. <laughs> All right. Well, then what is your number four? So number four, I picked this film called What Will People Say? It is a Norwegian film that I saw at TIFF. Um, and I'm actually very excited because it apparently just won a bunch of film awards in Norway um, being one of the top films uh, of the year over there, which is awesome. It's a story about a young Pakistani girl whose family lives in Oslo, and you know, it's kind of it kind of follows how she balances her love for her family and her appreciation and respect for her family's traditions while you know trying to live a more like modern, normal life. And you know, in that and this is a story that happens, I think for, or, you know, something that can speak to a lot of immigrant experiences or like second gen experiences where you're constantly trying to battle or sort of balance, you know, your cultural ties with your, with your, um, or your cultural ties, generally speaking from where your family's from to where you live and trying to maintain a balance between the two. And so this girl's going through and trying to, trying to do that and in process sort of disrespects her family and they end up sending her to Pakistan where she is forced to live, um, for several years. And it's just a, it's kind of a, a harsh, but at the same time, authentic story and authentic look at what happens to a lot of families and to a lot of girls specifically uh, who aren't, you know, they're, they're seen as being troublemakers or they're seen as being defiant or they're being seen as disrespectful 
when really they're just trying to, you know, find ground between what their family has brought to them and what their country brings to them. Um, and it is something, you know, a story that I have seen happen uh, in real life. It is something that I've seen happen to people around me before, maybe not to such harsh extent, like to such a harsh extent, but um, it, it's, it's a very powerful story. And uh, it takes a look at what it means to be a woman in South Asian culture and how that impacts you uh, when you're growing up as a second gen immigrant um, in many ways. So definitely a film that I would recommend seeing. I think it's a story that we haven't really seen on the big screen before. And I, and I hope that people will get to see more of it this year. Oh, that was a movie I was not familiar with, but that sounds very chilling to know that things like this still happen. Mm -hmm. I quickly looked up and apparently it was based on the director's real life experience that that actually happened to her. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's insane. It's yeah. It's, it's crazy that these things still do happen. And, you know, now that I know that the director had such a similar experience, it you can definitely see it come through in the film um, and, you know, how delicately and beautifully it's handled, even though it's such a dark, you know, dark element to explore. Yeah. Wow. Um, my number four is, uh, is another little indie film. I don't know if anyone's heard of it. It was called Dunkirk, I believe <laughs> is how you pronounce it. Dun, Dunkirk. 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 Yes. Uh, it's a Christopher <laughs> Nolan movie. You know, I'm being a little facetious here. This movie was massive, proving that Nolan is a genre onto himself that it doesn't matter what the movie is. People will turn out in droves to see what he is doing. And once again, he's hit it out of the park. He he's taken this, uh, at the time, what was relatively unknown story, uh, at least on this side of the ocean of, um, English soldiers trapped on the beaches of Dunkirk with uh, incoming uh, Nazi airplanes and, and battleships where literally almost the entire English army would have been wiped out in one place. I think it was about 90% of their troops were there unless they were able to evacuate them. And so this story takes place over three different timelines. You had one that took place two weeks before. Uh, you had a story that took place two days before. And then the story that took place two hours before. For, uh, and it's just absolutely riveting seeing the way he was able to mix these three narratives together in a way that did not leave the audience confused. And then towards the end, when you start to see them all sort of conjoining at the same point, you know, you have uh, the small little boat going towards the the land and then overhead you see the plane flying over top of them and you realize that all three of the stories have now finally connected or on the same timeline it's really stunning the sound design of this is just impeccable there's a reason why it won both sound mixing and sound editing oscars this year and you've got some really great performances. You know, we, we've seen Mark Rylance come to the forefront in these last couple of years, starting with Bridge of Spies. He is continuing this run. Um, Tom Hardy doing an almost silent performance where basically all you see is his eyes because he's in a plane the whole time with a mask covering his mouth. Um, 
And then uh, a relative newcomer to me, Barry Keoghan, who was also in Killing of a Sacred Deer, but I haven't seen yet, uh, mm. gave a really memorable performance, one that I think stood out for most people when they when they came out of Dunkirk. This is a movie that shows that you can marry populist entertainment with really great cinematic storytelling and proves why Nolan is the best big budget director in the game. Yeah, there, there's one thing that you missed from from your review there. What, what did I miss? You missed the amazing supporting Harry Styles performance by Harry Styles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about that briefly because uh, I remember when it was announced, there was a ton of backlash for that role and he was not given a big part. He definitely had a small part, but he did not seem out of place. He fit right in. He kind of, and in fact, I actually found he blended in a little bit too much with some of the other young boys that were fighting there, but I appreciated that there was a bit of an authenticity of, you know, there was, it was a lot of 16, 17, 18 year old boys that were going over to fight in World War II. And so why not cast kids that were that age to actually play these roles instead of getting someone who's basically 30 and we're supposed to believe that they're 18 years old, having someone like Harry Styles, uh, sort of be the face of these younger people who were over there at that time was a really interesting feat by him. And he definitely knocked it out of the park for me. Yeah, no, I think his role was small, but in one of the scenes that, you know, towards the end of the film, it definitely he had a pretty big part to play i feel like in in one of in one of the scenes at the end mm-hmm. and he was he was quite he was quite strong in the film surprisingly and yeah dunkirk was a huge achievement overall it didn't make my list uh spoiler alert but um it it was a it was a tremendous film from last year and i think ever really speaking mm-hmm. all right uh so now we're going to hear from sammy feltenfeld with his number 1 movie of last year This is Sammy, and despite my love-hate relationship with the DC Universe and how much I loved Wonder Woman last year, I'll say Blade Runner 2049, or 2049, however it's called, was probably my favorite film of the year. It was just an amazing experience, incredible cinematography, a really well-done story uh, with some good twists, and just sort of a a lot of uh, love for the fans and love love for fans of sci-fi in general. And I just thought it was an amazing film. And I'll, I'll kind of see anything Denis Villeneuve does anyway. But I was really impressed uh, and really just enjoyed the journey that it took me on. So Sammy, once again, praising Blade Runner 2049. That's definitely not a, a shock to me. And in, I think on the previous episodes, he he really spelled out his love for it. Um, I know this is a movie you hadn't seen yet. Uh, had you seen the original yet? 
No, I haven't. Okay. It definitely wouldn't make sense if you have not seen the original. People say that it it would, but I don't think it will because Mm -hmm. the the stories are so, so much connected. Um, But yeah. Uh, What was your number three movie, Mahek? So number three is a movie that I've been cheering about since I saw it at TIFF and I'll never stop cheering for it. It is I, Tanya. I absolutely adored this movie in so many ways. I think everything from the story, which is incredibly fascinating, to the cast that brought it to life, to how it was edited and directed, it just blew my mind. Um, I think it provided a really smart commentary on sort of blue, blue, cla- um, blue collar, oh my gosh, I can't speak, blue collar, middle class America, um, and, you know, spoke to the the sort of weird pressures and the 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 weird life that comes with being a momentary celebrity uh, especially for a lot of athletes uh margot robbie gave a very transformative performance i still think she was severely underappreciated for it um and then as we know allison janney who's now an academy award winner for her work um as uh as uh tanya harding's mother um was incredible as well it was just it was it was so weirdly funny, this movie, and yet, you know, it, it gave the, the heavy weight of the story its respect, and, you know, it was, a, it was a very fine balance between the comedy and the sort of dark, dramatic um, parts to, to Tanya Harding as a character and the people around her. Um, and, I, you know, what? I'm going to say Sebastian Stan also was great. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think he got enough love for it and he, he gave a pretty strong performance. So I will, I will note that, but it was just, it's just a very well executed film. I think it's a movie that came out of nowhere and people didn't expect much from it. And it, it delivered on many levels that I didn't even think would happen. Um, but I was very impressed with the story that they were able to pull together, especially from an editing and technical standpoint. Yeah, that movie is a real feat for combining a whole bunch of different things, um, especially the unreliable narrator aspect, which I found was pretty fascinating to to watch play out. That you can have so many opposing stories, conflicting and contrasting, but still tell a very coherent story. Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, but yeah, Margot Robbie was was fantastic in that, and so was Sebastian Stan as her ex husband, um, who you know you alternate between really liking and feeling bad for the guy and realizing what a monster he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, my number three movie is Phantom Thread, the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a decent fan of, of Paul Thomas Anderson and I really like Daniel Day Lewis as an actor. Uh, so I had pretty high expectations for this. I tried my best to avoid knowing a lot about what this movie was. Unfortunately, if you're in the kind of like, film scene in the sense of like you talk to people about movies you you check up reviews of movies you whatever listen to interviews it was kind of impossible to avoid people being like oh have you seen phantom thread it's this type of movie and so like i i tried my hardest to go in as blind as possible unfortunately i still knew quite a bit but it still was a shock of just how this movie played out uh ostensibly 
It's a movie about a dressmaker played by Daniel Day-Lewis and his relationship with his, with this new woman who becomes sort of his, uh, muse slash, um, support slash she kind of helps out making some of the dresses too. Um, and this movie is about the relationship and that's basically the plot except for so much more happens. And most notably, what doesn't happen in this movie is also just as important. The clothes are absolutely beautiful, fantastic, as you would have to imagine a movie about making dresses has to be. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis has, you know, such a great performance of a, a man so set in his ways that he will not change for anyone. And when these rules are sort of questioned or bent, what sort of reactions you get. But Really, this movie is stolen by the two women in this movie. You have Leslie Manville, who plays his sister, who at first just seems like uh, kind of his minion, does his bidding, breaks up with girlfriends when he no longer has use for them, uh, is very strict with the, the workers, but then she has this fantastic moment where they start getting into a fight at the breakfast table, and she has a line that will just have you yelling in the theater, oh snap, or whatever it is. Like, she just goes for the kill with uh, with her words. And then Vicky Creeps, who is a new actress for me, she's uh, I believe she's from Luxembourg. Uh, so she's done movies in French and German and a couple other languages. So she, I think this was her first English language movie and she plays, um, the woman in Daniel Day Lewis's life who is, seems to be meek and naive, but turns out that she is definitely, uh, her own woman as well. And that goes to some very interesting places when she starts asserting herself, uh, over the domineering Daniel Day Lewis character. All in all, this is a movie that when I am talking with other film loving friends, most of them really did not like it. They found it too slow, too boring. Not enough was happening. Uh, the plot was too ridiculous, but for some reason, all of these pieces absolutely clicked for me and is just a stunning movie. It was shot on 35 millimeter film, uh, much like Dunkirk was, which I didn't talk about. And you really feel the, the actual film in this movie. So I, I, I loved it. Amazing. I still haven't seen Phantom Threads. So it's very good to hear your high praise of it, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. I think it just got an extended run at the Lightbox, so um, I'm, yeah, I'm going to try and catch that. I hope so, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it afterwards, because I I feel like all my friends that I, I, I talk to about, they're all like, nope, no interest in seeing it, or ooh, I struggled to finish this. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I have, like, from the Paul Thomas Anderson films that I have seen, like, I... I I'm kind of mixed about them, but I, I feel like it looks like a really beautifully done movie. So I'm hoping that, you know, this will give me like, I'll, I'll enjoy it a lot more than some of his other work. I think that's the key. If you can go in knowing what Anderson's style is like and not expecting a ton of plot and more character study stuff, I think it might temper your expectations a little bit. Uh, this has even less plot than something like There Will Be Blood, um, but they're very similarly structured where there'll be extended periods without dialogue, uh, reliance on music, things like that. Hmm. Okay, cool. 
All right. So what do you have as your number two movie? Number two is Get Out. Um, I think, you know, as you said earlier, what can be said about Get Out that hasn't been said? And, you know, who hasn't talked about it yet? I mean, who hasn't seen it? Because I feel like the whole world has. And that's a very glorious thing. Um, I actually, you know, I, I saw Get Out very, very late in the game. I didn't even see it in theaters. I saw it at the end of last year. So this was like, you know, after a year of hearing everyone talk about this movie and rave about it, it was kind of nice to be able to just take it in at home by myself on a Saturday night. And there's so much to to pull from that movie. And I think that's why it ranks so high on my top 10, even though it's something that I experienced much after, you know, you know, you know, par- basically partially through its kind of award season run, but uh, much after that sort of initial hype that it got. Um, but it's just such a smartly made movie on on so many levels from from the storytelling and the script writing to even you know a lot of the visual uh, choices that Jordan Peele made as director um he he casted this film brilliantly and i i think we talk a lot and i'm glad you brought up the parents in the movie but i i i want to give a little a little shout out to Allison Williams in that in that film because I don't think, you know, a lot of people would expect her to do a film like that, especially after, you know, everything that she did with Girls. But it's like one of her first main features that she's worked on since Girls. And I think she's so, like, brilliantly creepy in, at the right moments that um, I, I wish she got a little more credit for it because she does give a really great performance uh, in that story and in that film. And then, of course, you know Daniel Kaluuya is great, and uh, a lot of the a lot of the supporting cast, the Keith Stanfield's in there. He's awesome. Um, there's just there's uh, there's I don't know what else I can say about Get Out that hasn't already been said, but I'm super glad that Jordan Peele won an Oscar for it. It feels triumphant. It feels like Hollywood is willing and ready uh, to accept and celebrate films from diverse storytellers and. Um, kind of enjoy films that don't follow the mold, which is very exciting, especially for a horror comedy esque film like Get Out. So I'm I'm excited for not only what it's done this last year and what it means as a film, but what it what it means going forward and the door that it's opened for other storytellers. Yeah, uh, my my one regret was that I did not see this movie in theaters. Being a aversion to horror movies person uh meant that i don't think i would have been able to handle it in theater so i watched at home and realized that like i was able to handle it made me regret not being able to see it with with a a nice big crowd because i'm sure it would have been quite the experience i was just watching an interview with daniel kaluuya and he was this movie came out while he was shooting black panther which Mm -hmm. films in atlanta so he was there and he took a little break to go uh to the city and so he said he found the most hood theater he could find and went into a packed crowd and kind of snuck in and sat at the very back of the theater and uh got to experience it that way and that was a a really crazy experience for him one that he really enjoyed yeah that's oh that's so cool i i definitely i i see the i think i would have enjoyed experiencing it in a theater at some point it just so happened that by the time I saw it, it was like I was at home on a Saturday and I was like, oh, get out. It's finally available to watch on demand. So I'm going to watch it. <laughs> and <laughs> but, uh, you know, the theater experience is always is always a lot of fun. 
Yeah. Uh, so my number two movie is Call Me By Your Name, the Luca Guadagnino <laughs> movie uh, starring Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer about uh, a young boy discovering his sexuality while living, spending a summer in his parents' Italian villa when um, his father's research intern played by army hammer comes and stays with them and it awakens something in in him this is a movie that is very beautiful to watch we we so rarely get to see uh a, a gay coming of age story told this bluntly and beautifully uh we really get to see all the highs and lows of what this young boy goes through. And it's really something special to watch. And Chalamet, in my opinion, gave the single best performance of the year. He really left it all out there, especially, you know, in the, in the now very famous last scene of the movie, uh, which for anyone who has not seen it yet, I will not spoil, but, uh, is a really satisfying movie to watch, even if it is emotionally draining at the same time. And it, it just goes to show what, what a career this young man is going to have himself. Army Hammer, who I loved when he was in the social network, uh, then kind of had a spurt of a bunch of eh movies. And then he sort of redeemed himself with the man from uncle, uh, but still hasn't really been, you know, a great actor in my opinion, turned in a really great performance. Um, but then all of that is overshadowed by Michael Stuhlbarg, who had a career year last year being in so many movies, uh, basically playing the, the greatest father anyone could ever hope to have. Mm-hmm. Um, his speech at the end of the movie, right before a big emotional moment, uh, it just is, is so beautiful to watch and definitely had me tearing up while I was watching it and then full blown waterworks when that final emotional moment happened. Uh, so I highly recommend this movie. It's so beautiful. Um, it is a very adult movie. So if you're young, don't watch this movie, but, um, <laughs> but it's definitely an important one to watch. And hopefully it sort of, uh, becomes a bit of the, the gold standard for as far as, um, important queer movies. Yeah. Call Me By Your Name is just overall so, so beautifully well done. And it just barely missed the cut for my top 10, but, definitely a film I hope many people will see um, and and hopefully experience the, the joys and sort of the the weirdness and the excitement of a first love it's 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 beautiful yeah uh, all right so I guess the the moment is here what <laughs> is your number one movie of 2017 the heck my number one movie of 2017 and also the other movie that made me cry in a theater last year is The Florida Project. I don't think this movie got enough love, even though everyone who has seen it has said that, and anyone who saw Willem Dafoe get nominated said that, and said that's the only thing that, you know, kind of helped it pull through, but I'm going to continue to say it, because The Florida Project is just... uh, It's so... it's, It's a story that, you know, I think it reminds us a lot about the power of being a child, which is like, you know, what that experience is and the, the power of imagination and of being 
of being hopeful and of those those hot summer days and kind of just being adventurous and going out there and letting the world be your oyster, right? Um, I, I I feel like Brooklyn Prince, who who stars as the one of the main um, main kids in this movie, gave such a tremendous performance that 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 was what brought me to tears by the end of the movie. And uh, you know, we don't. She definitely reminded me what it you know how powerful that experience is, and you know how beautiful it is to be a kid. Um, whereas, you know, in stark contrast, her, her mother, um, who, who, you know, they, they live at this, they live at this, uh, this motel in, in Florida, which, you know, on the strip, which is like, it's still there. It's, a, it's definitely a regular experience for a lot of families and for, you know, for a lot of people who live in Florida to support these, uh, sort of properties and, you know, to, to see her mom who, who's kind of just, she has a lot of love for her child and provides for her in the best way that she can even though there's there's a lot of there's a lot of intensity to to how she does that and you know why her mother has to make that choice and you know the the effect of it overall by the end of the the story it's it's such a powerful powerful thing the the story of love and you know the story of family and I, now i'm just as i'm talking about it i'm realizing you know it's again it's about that mother daughter relationship um and i think the florida project really tackles it in in a way that we haven't seen in a while and speaks to again like you know blue collar america or sort of the the you know the people who are living in poverty or or impoverished and willem defoe gives a tremendous performance there's so much love in what he does and you know, as someone who kind of comes on as this father figure, it's it just, he, he, his performance is, it's, it's beautifully done. It, there's, it doesn't seem like there's a lot there at first, but it, the impact is tremendous, I feel. And, uh, just overall, I feel like this is a movie. I feel like this is a movie that should be experienced in a theater. Um, just because, you are you allow yourself to kind of give in to what Sean Baker, the director, is trying to trying to communicate and trying to show you. And there's just there's a lot of love there. There's just a lot of love there that brought me to tears by the end of it. And I know I didn't eloquently describe why this movie is great at all in the last two minutes, but <laughs> I, I just I just feel like it's a it's a really lovely story um, that will move you in ways that you don't really realize until the credits roll. Yeah, uh, it definitely was a very beautiful movie, and and Willem Dafoe was absolutely robbed of an Oscar. I I, I think he should have won for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, Sean Baker, I think, has a really interesting career in front of him. He, uh, he did Tangerine a couple years ago and got a ton of buzz and he could have done something way more mainstream, but decided to stick to what he knew, uh, by doing, uh, doing a film about people that don't normally have films made about them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, uh, he's continuing to show why he's such an important filmmaker right now. Definitely. So my number one is a very underseen movie called A Ghost Story. It was directed by David Lowry and it stars Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck. Although Casey Affleck really isn't in it all that much. Um, it's a, it's a very simple story. It's about a young couple and the husband dies at the very beginning of the movie and he comes back as a ghost. 
this ghost is just a person with a sheet over their head. So it's as basic of a, of a ghost as you can think of. Think of like 1960s Halloween costume. How do you make a ghost? You put a sheet over your head, cut the holes in, out of the eyes. That's what this looks like. And he just stands in the corner and watches and watches and watches. And this is a movie about the passage of time. So we see the wife uh, grieving and what it means to move on after the loss of her partner. And then she eventually moves out of the house and a new family moves in. And then eventually other people move in. And then eventually time keeps going and going and going and even just thinking about there's a couple pivotal pivotal moments in this movie where have you heck I'll ask you have you ever had the this happen to you where you're kind of either sitting down at work or whatever maybe you remember being in school and you just kind of stare off into space and then you don't realize what you're doing and then you look down and you're like holy crap it's been like 20 minutes have I been doing nothing this entire time like have you ever had that experience Oh, yeah, several times. And I actually experienced this like driving, oh, <laughs> oddly enough. Um, no, I'm a, I'm a good driver, I swear. <laughs> but there's this thing that, which I didn't realize was a thing, but I think I've learned about it from 30 Rock, and it's called highway hypnosis. Mm. And it's just, it happens to a lot of truck drivers where they're just, they're kind of driving endlessly, right? And because you're driving on these long stretches of roads, um, you know, and often, you know, when you're driving countryside, it's just there, there isn't a lot of traffic or anything. So, you know, you, you don't feel the passage of time. And then all of a sudden you're like, Whoa, I've been driving for half an hour. Like, yeah. how did that happen? Right. Yeah. So it's definitely something I'm familiar with. <laughs> so if you're familiar with that, there's a moment in the movie where the ghost, uh, decides to sit down and he's looking down at the ground and that, happens and i guess the best way to describe i don't want to you know spoil this but if anyone has seen tree of life uh the sort of passage of time in that movie uh is similar to what the passage of time goes on here and it's beautiful and then there's this great uh music moment in this movie where Casey Affleck's character is a musician and so Rooney Mara is listening to one of his songs after he has died and she's laying on the floor and she reaches her arms out and then behind her the ghost is standing and her fingers just are not long enough to reach the ghost but it's just this really beautiful moment while she has headphones on listening to this song. It's a movie that, that made me, you know, break down several times in this, in, in the course of it. It's shot very interestingly. The ratio aspect is a square. So it's not widescreen or full screen. It's a square. Really? Yeah. So it definitely almost has a bit of a, I don't want to say like, Instagram, Snapchat filter to it, but it sort of has that feel to it where it's a square box uh, and there is a border around the outside of it, which um, is definitely sort of how people in our generation and younger sort of are maybe a little more used to watching things happen and play out. So it's a really interesting cinematic technique. This is another movie where not a lot happens. Uh, the movie isn't very long either, but, but it is really emotionally heavy. And Rooney Mara gives a great performance. There isn't a ton of dialogue in this movie. And 
it's kind of an unnerving, creepy movie, but at the same time, it isn't because it's a guy in a bed sheet. <laughs> but there's some really interesting stuff going on. Uh, and I highly recommend everyone to check it out if they have not seen it. Amazing. Well, it's definitely on my list. Yeah, I tried to be as vague as possible. I know you haven't seen this one yet, so I yeah. don't really want to spoil too much or anyone else because there's some really great emotional payoffs in this movie. Um, and once you watch it, you'll probably know exactly what moments I'm talking about are the ones that hit the hardest. Okay, cool. I'll I'll keep an eye out. <laughs> All right. Uh, so those were our top 10 movies of the year. Do you have any honorable mentions that just missed the cut of your top 11 since you're a cheater? <laughs> sorry I could, it was so hard to decide um well I did I guess you know you you helped me bring up a few while while we were you know sharing our top 10 uh but I do have a few films that you know that I really enjoyed and I I felt like you know had an impact or films that were quite memorable for me from last year so uh just quickly um there's the incredible Jessica James which stars Jessica Williams who was uh on the Colbert Colbert Late night. Which one? I'm confusing them. Um, she, she, uh, anyway, she, she used to, no, Steve, she worked with Stephen Colbert. Yes. So she used to be on his show and, um, you know, she had a feature film on Netflix, which is just like this, like kind of sweet indie film, uh, about two people falling in love. And I, I just, I really enjoyed it. I, I think she's, I think it was just a really sweet story. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, I think uh, Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man to date. Yep, I'm saying it. Sorry <laughs> to require, but you are officially outranked by Tom Holland. He's great. I think it's, um, you know, even though it's kind of sucky that Spider-Man once again got rebooted, it was a good reboot. I will say that, and, you know, for the sake of the Marvel Universe, it's, it's cool that, uh, you know, we get that character in movies like the upcoming Avengers films and all that stuff. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Free Fire is a film that was at TIFF uh, two years ago now, and I didn't get to see it there, but it had a small theater run, and so I was, I was very excited, you know, when that happened. So I went and saw it in, a theater, in theaters, and I was the only one in the theater. What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that has never happened to me before, but I was the only one in the theater to see Free Fire. Um, so that was fun. It was, it was interesting to experience that movie on the big screen by myself. Um, but very, very well done film. I think, I think, you know, it wasn't, um, as funny as I thought it would be per the, per the trailers for the movie, but just a very, very well choreographed and kind of like zippy at times. Um, the cast is great. Army Ham Hammer is in that movie as well. And he gave a really strong performance. Brie Larson, um, is fantastic in it. Uh, definitely a movie that I would recommend checking out. I think it's on Netflix now. Um, so it should be easy to see. Colossal is a movie that I saw at TIFF two years ago as well. And Hathaway, Jason Sudeikis, a uh, star in this movie about a woman who moves back to her hometown and starts to realize that she has a weird connection with a creature that suddenly appears in what I believe is South Korea, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's a very strange film. I did not think I would like it as much as I did but I, I loved it and it, it officially got released last year which is why I put it on my list um, as for an honorable mention because I think more people saw it last year than they did when I saw it and Jason Sudeikis gives a very very good dark performance I have to say I'd like to see him do more 
um, horror or drama type films. And the last film um, that I'm going to mention is Logan, fantastic comic book adaptation. The last time that we'll ever see Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, so he says. Um, and just a just a really really strong story, I think, for a you know for a genre that you know while I love it and I'm, I'm very into this whole like superhero universe, it does get tired. And I think Logan was a was a nice fresh take. Absolutely. Um, so. Uh, in my next five, I have four of my four of my movies were in your list, so I'll I won't say much more about them. But The Shape of Water, I Tanya, Coco, and Thor Ragnarok were all movies that made your list, and you very eloquently praised them. Uh, some other ones, maybe some smaller ones, I think people should definitely check out. Loving Vincent was the animated film that was uh done in the style of Vincent Van Gogh's artwork and it kind of tells the story of the mystery after his death. Very interesting stuff. Uh, the Sofia Coppola movie, The Beguiled, was really beautiful dark gothic movie that went some really weird places some really fantastic performances by all the women in that movie um good time the robert panson movie uh where it's a little tough to watch he's a, a a very terrible person but is kind of going to show that he is proving that he is so much more than than twilight given the chance and he's he's definitely doing that uh, the documentaries Abacus, Small Enough to Jail, and Faces Places were really interesting to see too. Uh, we didn't end up talking about The Big Sick. I don't know if you had seen that one or not. There was a lot to like about that movie. I had some mm-hmm. minor quibbles with it, but I think overall it was a really interesting and well done film. Yeah, no, I, The Big Sick is, I, I did see it and I did enjoy it quite a bit. It was super funny. I have my problems with it, I won't lie, but. Um, to see, you know, I'm always, I'm always excited to see uh, a South Asian uh, talent get, get, you know, get out there and get front and center and in this case, get an Academy Award nomination. So absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all right. And then do you have any movies that, you know, you just are disappointed that you ended up missing that based on what you know, and the praise that you had heard might've been in contention for your top 10 if you had uh, seen it? Yeah, absolutely. And some of them made your top 10. So (laughs) all the more reason for me to make sure to go see them. Um, uh, Logan Lucky, Good Time, Ingrid Goes West, A Ghost Story are all films that made, you know, made the list of movies I haven't seen, but probably would have, I'm sure they would have had an influence on some level or another. And um, Girls Trip, I, I really, I like a good comedy and I feel like I don't see them very often like a really good comedy i see a lot of stupid comedies but like a good one and so i've heard girls trip is is very funny of course because of tiffany haddish so i'm hoping to see that very soon absolutely um my omissions include you know uh, speaking of robert Pattinson giving such a great turn in good time uh his former twilight co-star Kristen stewart has also been killing it lately uh her movie personal shopper her second movie that she's done with uh olivier asayas um after the clouds of sils maria looks really interesting that i kind of want to see uh lady Macbeth, uh the killing of the sacred deer which you talked about Beatrice at dinner uh, and the foreign the this year's foreign film that won a fantastic woman all seemed really interesting mm-hmm. um, so th- those are all ones that I, I wish I had seen that look like they might have been in contention for me um, with obviously the few of yours that I have not seen that I definitely should be checking out 
So we listed a ton of movies. Uh, we're going to list our, our top 10, our honorable mentions on, um, liveandlimbo.com on the show notes. So make sure you go there and you check them out. Uh, music this week is from Ministry of Interior Spaces and his song Hoyt Arboretum. Uh, you can check out uh, the show notes where I'm going to have links for that. We just premiered the music video for that track. So definitely check that out. There'll be links for there and where you can find more of his music. So I want to thank you, Mahek, for, for coming on. I really appreciate it. You always have so many insightful things to say about movies. Where can all of our listeners find you? Find me on social media at what the heck. Awesome. I, uh, I always enjoy having you and I hope it won't be too long before I have you again. Yay. I'd be happy to come back. Maybe we should do an episode on Black Panther. Yeah, you want to do that? I'd well, be down for that. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure we'll figure something out. Um, but that good. but that might be an interesting one. You can follow me on Twitter at dgapa, and you can also follow the show at contrazoom pod. And uh, just thank you everyone for listening, and you know, give me a shout out of what your favorite movie of 2017 was. Thanks. <laughs>